two in our series that we're doing at the moment called Red Letter Revival, looking at the words of Jesus. And uh, I'm going to be looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 18. It's in your notes that you were given as you walk through the door, so you can grab those out and follow along as I read. Uh, or if you've got a Bible with you, you can, if you want to open that up, we're in Matthew chapter 18. I'm starting at verse 11. We're looking at the parable of the lost lamb. And uh, it says there in verse 11, the son of man has come to give life to anyone who is lost. Think of it this way. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one lamb wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the 99 grazing on the hillside to go out and thoroughly search for the one lost lamb? And if he finds his lost lamb, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 who are safe. Now you should understand that it is never the desire of your heavenly father that a single one of these humble believers should be lost. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for what you've already done in our hearts in the service that you've uh, come and you meet us right where we're at. Father, I pray over these words that we're looking at today. I pray that you would show us what you want us to see. God, would you show us what you want us to see so that it may transform us to live our lives in a different way. God, we wanna be convicted of something new this morning that we might um, begin to see people and our mission and our church with your eyes and your heart. God, we want your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I don't know if you guys think how I think, but this parable makes no sense to me. Like it just doesn't carry any logic. Why would you leave 99 sheep and go after one rat bag sheep who wandered off and wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. Like, by the time you get back from finding the one, surely five more have wandered off, and then what are you gonna do? You're gonna go after each one of them individually? Like, it just makes no sense to me. And my, my rule-following, task-oriented, logical brain goes, surely you should cut your losses, 99%'s pretty good, like, it's more than a pass, Let's just go with that, right? Because anything else makes absolutely no sense to me. Now, I believe that there are two types of people in the world. There are those who follow the rules and those who don't. Now, I'm gonna do a show of hands right now. Any rule followers out there? You follow the rules. You're a rule follower? Yeah, okay. What about those who just don't follow the rules? Okay. I am a rule follower but I am OCD about it. I do not color outside the lines. I do not, under any circumstances, park on the grass. I do not go that way if it says don't go that way. I do not go outside a recipe, no. I do not throw away the instruction manual. Oh no, I follow it word for word, letter for letter. I don't know what will happen to me if I don't, but I know it must be bad. Right? Do you know the thing about rule followers is that you guys who don't follow the rules really frustrate us. We get really frustrated by your anti-rule, carefree, no, no respect for the rule kind of ways. 
We just get, it's hard for us to understand. Steve and I have recently, we've moved out, we bought a house in, in Papakura, in any kind of area, and, and so we've, we've moved out there, and because it's a new suburb, you know, you have to get familiar with the new ways of rubbish collection and all of that, and so we have our big bins out there for our rubbish, but out there you also have to buy a tag that goes onto your rubbish that you, you stick to the handle, and if you don't have the tag, they don't take your rubbish. Now, the instructions on the tag are very clear. They are very clear. And they, are, they don't even just have it in words, they've got it in a picture. So you cannot get this wrong, right? Well, one day I came home and I looked at our bins outside and my anti-rule-following husband had put the tag on the wrong side of the bin. The instructions clearly state, place your tag on the left handle facing the road. Well, I couldn't cope. I sat looking at this bin for a good three minutes going, what do I do? Do I leave it and let there be a chance that they may refuse to take my bin because I didn't follow the instructions? What do I do? I, I couldn't handle it. I ripped that tag off. I didn't care. It cost me $3 and I put a new tag on the right side. Steve thinks I'm absolutely crazy. <laughs> so you can see how this parable, parable is a struggle for me. I'm like the 99, they followed the rules. They did the right thing. And now they are going to be left alone without a shepherd for the one who wandered just, just carelessly, is wandering up, just gallivanting around the countryside with no care in the world. And then he's not even going to need to walk himself home. Oh, no. He's going to be sauntering along on the shoulders of the shepherd as he gets carried home after his night out. I just could not. This doesn't make any sense to me, this parable. And then I did some sheep farming research. Yes, I did. I looked up Sheep 101. I now have enough information that I could start my own small sheep farm. What I learned was that, as you probably know already, so it's not really that great information, but uh, what I learned was that sheep display a flocking behavior. They flock together. They herd together or they gather together. They band together in groups. And that's how they move and live and do life. They do it for protection. There is safety in numbers. A predator is not going to come and pick on a sheep within a flock, but it will go and pick on a sheep who has gone astray, right? It, it, they are taught, sheep are taught at a young age to follow, to stick closely with the older sheep. In fact, when they are grazing and eating their grass, they all have eyes on one another. They're looking at one another. They do not take their eyes off each other it's a flocking mentality, and it not only protects the sheep, but it helps them be moved from place to place. And as I was doing my research for this message, as I was reading and, and, and meditating on this passage, and as I was reading about sheep, I felt this gentle but firm voice say to me, don't you see, this story is not about the 99. The 99 are safe. They have each other. This is about the one. It's about the one who is unprotected. It's about the one who is vulnerable without a shepherd. 
It's about the one who is lost. It's about the one who cannot, no matter how hard they try, find their way back to the shepherd. It's about the one who right now is becoming anxious because they have no eyes on another, on another sheep in the flock. This is not about you. It's about the one. Jesus tells a parable about a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to thoroughly search and search and search for one lost sheep. And in finding that sheep rejoices over one found more than 99 sat at home. Jesus tells us this parable so that we might be able to see into the priorities of God. Because God's priority is the one. His priority is the one. And I think the song, Reckless Love, is an accurate description of God's love. It's reckless. It's reckless. It's not careless. It's reckless, which means it gives no concern to himself. He gives no concern to his own comfort. He gives no concern to his own, uh, his own desires. He gives no concern when it comes to his lost sheep. He think, does not think of himself. He thinks only of them. He gives no concern to even his life. His love is reckless. And that's so much so that he would leave 99 and search and search and not give up until he's hunted you down and found you and carried you all the way home. His priority is the one. And it is my conviction and my prayer is that it would be your conviction too. It is my conviction that we as a church must begin to make God's priority our priority. Because for every lost person out there, they are a person with a name and they matter to God. They matter to God. God's priority is the one. So how do we make His priority our priority? How do we do that? Well, I've got three things for you. You can write them down. There's some gaps in your notes there. Number one, how do we make God's priority our priority? Well, we stay bothered. Stay bothered. There's a story in Mark chapter one, and it says this, on one occasion, a leper came and threw himself down in front of Jesus, pleading for his healing, saying, you have the power to heal me right now, if only you really want to. Listen to this, it says, being deeply moved with tender compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the skin of the leper and told him, of course I want you to be healed, so now be cleansed. In the original writings of this passage, the original language uh, that it was written in, that phrase, uh, with, uh, that phrase, deeply moved with tender compassion, can actually be better translated as something deep down in his gut. 
Like it's something that took over his whole being that he had to do something. He became indignant is probably a better way of putting that word, those phrases, is that Jesus was so moved. Deep down in his gut, he became indignant about this man's situation that he did something, he touched a leper, a no-no, he touched a leper. His love was reckless. It didn't take concern, himself into consideration. He wasn't worried about his own being. He wasn't worried about his own comfort. His, he was so indignant, he was so moved that he reached out and he touched a leper and the leper was healed. If we were to talk about it in today's terms, we'd probably use the phrase, it messed him up. Yeah. It messed him up. He was so bothered that he had to do something. He couldn't sit by and do nothing. He was bothered. We've got to stay bothered. We've got to stay bothered by the fact that there are lost people out there who need to be found. We have to stay bothered by the fact that there are people in our community who are broken and need healing that there are people out there who are blind and need to see, that there are people, we have to stay, but we cannot stop being bothered by the fact that there are millions of people in our nation who have not yet heard about the love of Jesus. We have to get indignant about it. We've got to stay bothered. Let it mess with you, church. Let it mess with you that there are Hundreds of thousands of people, not far from our reach, who do not know what it is that we know, who do not have what it is that we have. We cannot risk becoming complacent and comfortable while there are still people out there who do not know that there is a God who would search high and low and never give up until they were brought home. I've titled this message, Not On Our Watch, because not on our watch, not on our watch will we become comfortable with the fact that there are lost people still out there. Not on our watch will we allow ourselves to become complacent about the fact that there are still empty seats here while people don't know who their God is. Not on our watch. We have to stay bothered, church. If we're gonna make God's priority our priority, we've gotta stay bothered. Number two, number two, we've gotta see people, not problems. We have to see people and not problems. And this is about seeing people right. We've gotta begin to see people the right way. Because when you create a church that both churched and unchurched people love to come to, you have to understand it's not gonna stay neat and tidy, right? It's gonna get a little bit messy in here because pe- with people comes brokenness. With people comes mistakes. With people comes a past. With people come circumstances that don't always look neat and tidy. And there are some people that will come around you that will annoy you. They will irritate you. They will frustrate you. Don't look at your husband or your wife sitting next to you. There are some people in your world that will drive you crazy. You just don't understand them. But for every facade that people put up, there's always something going on. 
And if we would begin to take a look deeper, we would be able to see the people beyond the problem. It's real easy to see the problem and not the person that's underneath it. See, there was this young man when Steve and I were youth pastors. Young, young boy, he was about, I don't know, 15, 16, and man, he was a pain. Like, he was a great big pain. He was a little rat bag. And every Friday night, he would come along and he would cause us all sorts of trouble. He would run away from the program. At the very least, he'd sit talking and distracting everybody throughout the program, shouting things out from the cheap seats. Sounds a bit like some of you. Um, he would sometimes, he would turn up drunk on a Friday night. He would pick fights with people. He'd pick fights with leaders on a Friday night. I was like, this kid drove us crazy. And it was really easy to look at him and see the problem until you understand that that year he had lost an immediate family member who suddenly passed away. And another immediate family member was going through a life-threatening illness. And then you understand that under every problem is a person. And to every person, that's a person with a name that matters to God. And so we've got to change the way we look at people. We've got to see people, not problems. Judah, um, my oldest child, one day, I'd baked some cookies, right? And um, it's not something I do very often, not really a baker, but on this day, I'd baked some good cookies. And Judah, I'd given them some to the kids, you know, hot out of the oven, the, the nicest time to give them. So I gave some to the kids and they enjoyed those. And then I said, no more, you're not allowed any more. Maybe you could have one for dessert, but no more, dinner's nearly ready. Judah comes to me about 10 or 15 minutes later and he says, mummy, you're not gonna like this. He's a rule follower. He says, Mummy, you're not going to like this. I said, What? He said, I took another cookie <laughs> while you weren't looking. So I was trying not to laugh because it was kind of cute. I said, Well, you're going to have to go to your room and think about what you've done. So he went off to his room and he came back to me about 10 minutes later, sobbing. And he put all his pocket money down on the table. And he said, I don't deserve this. I'm too bad. <laughs> and I had a conversation with him that day. I said to him, Judah, this may be what you did, but it isn't who you are. Yeah. And we have to begin to have conversations up here about the people in our world. And we could say to them, this may be what you've done, but it is not who you are. And it certainly isn't who God has called you to become because we need to begin to see people not as they are or what they've done, but who God has called them to be, amen? Come on, let's see people and not problems. Number three, if we're gonna make God's priority our priority, we gotta do this. We gotta never forget what Jesus did for you. Never forget what Jesus did for you. He saved you. He rescued you. He found you. He healed you. He forgave you. 
He died for you. Oh, this is personal now, church. This is personal now. We love because He first loved us. When you can get up in the morning and start your day reminding yourself of just what Christ has done for you, then the why becomes really clear. Why we do things. Why are we planting more campuses? Why are we gonna plant another campus in Papakura? Haven't we got enough? Well, we're planting new campuses because there are still lost people out there who need a a God-loving, life-breathing church to step into who will tell them about Jesus. There are still people lost that need to be found and not on our watch. Not on our watch. We will keep planting. Why is it that we we have more and more services? We've got services in different languages. We've got so many services. Well, because there are still people who've come from every nation, who are every color from every tribe, who need to hear about the love of Jesus and not on our watch, not on our watch, will we say, oh, this many services is enough. Why is it that in the 10 a.m. service, your service last week, Steve asked you, perhaps you could choose a different service to go to because we will continue to make room. We will continue to make sure there are enough seats so that when visitors come, they do not have to be turned away so that we can make more and more space because there are still lost people in our community who are not yet here and that is why we exist because not on our watch, not on our watch. And as long as there are lost people out there, as long as there are people still to be found, we will keep growing. We will keep making space. You know, change is necessary for growth. It's not comfortable. And we might not like it very much, but it is necessary if we are going to continue to make space and room for those who are not yet here. The band are gonna come and join me now. When I was writing this message, and when I say that, I mean I literally was at home writing this message. Steve was here with our kids at church at the end of a day. And Judah had gone to play somewhere. He usually just runs right around this place. (laughs) He'd come to play somewhere. He'd gone into the chapel to play, but he hadn't told Steve where he'd gone. And a well-meaning volunteer came through the whole church and locked it up. Just trying to be helpful locked up all the doors, including the chapel, without realizing that Judah was in there. So when it came time to go home, Steve couldn't find Judah. He's looking around, looking around, looking upstairs, can't find him anywhere. Judah, Judah, where are you? Can't find him. So then the staff get on board and begin looking for him. Steve takes Rocky, our other child, just as loved, just as important. But in that moment, he shoves him into the car and he's like, I know where you are, you stay there. Buckle yourself in, do not move. I know you're safe. I'm going to find Judah. And for, I don't know, about 15 minutes, they search high and low all across the site, inside, outside, chapel, school, gym, kindy, everywhere searching for Judah. Looked into the chapel but thought it's locked, he can't have gone in there. After a while, decides to go back and unlock every door and look in every room, unlocks the chapel. And in the chapel, he finds Judah absolutely sobbing, terrified. And he says, Daddy, 
Daddy, I didn't think you'd be able to find me. I thought I'd be stuck here all night. And Steve said to him, Judah, listen to me. I would not have stopped looking until I found you. I would not have stopped looking until I found you. And aside from being a perfectly timed sermon illustration, it paints a beautiful picture of the kind of love that our God has, that He would fervently and recklessly and passionately and single-mindedly chase us down until He finds us. That He would not stop looking, that He literally laid His life down, that you and I and the millions of people still in our nation who are not yet found would be found by Him. And my prayer is that we as a church would never stop being bothered by that, that we would never get comfortable with that, that we would never forget that Jesus did it for us because there are people out there and they have a name and they matter to God. Let me pray for you, church. Father God, I thank you so much. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that when we were broken, when we were lost, when we were at the bottom of our life, you picked us up, you found us, and you carried us home. God, I pray that we would never forget that. Maybe some of us here today need a new revelation. We were once passionate about it. We were, we'd once remembered how much God saved us from. We were once passionate about sharing that same thing with other people. But right now, God, we just need this new zeal, a new fire to be stoked in us. God, I pray that you would help us never forget that you saved us. Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to see people, not problems. God, that you would help us to stay bothered by this. Make us feel so uncomfortable that we have to, like Jesus, do something. Let it mess us up, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. I would love to just pray one last simple prayer with you today. And uh, I'd like to invite everyone in this room just to, just once again, bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes. And I would love to extend an invitation to you this day to come to know Jesus. Like Beck said, He is reckless in His pursuit of you. He, he loves you so much. Like that one lost sheep, He leaves them all behind to go after you. And He will not stop looking until He finds you. And I don't know where you are today or what position your heart is in or where you are with God, but I do know this, that God loves you. God made you. He's got a great plan for your life. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to lead, lead you in a life of purpose and hope and future. And we all mess up. We all fall short of His standard. We all sin. But God, in His incredible grace, sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross. When He died on that cross, He took upon Himself what you and I would do for our sin. And He extends to every one of you today His free gift of grace, forgiveness for your past, 
new life that begins right here, right now. Hope for your future and eternity with Him in heaven. And if you're here today and you don't know Him, or maybe you knew Him once, but your life is far from God and you need to get your life right with God today, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. And I invite you now just to pray that along with me. You pray it in your heart. I'll pray it out loud for you. You just follow along with me in your heart. It's very simple. Just say these words. Say, God, today, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've messed up, but I believe, Jesus, you died for me. Right now, I ask you to come in. Forgive me of all my wrongs. I turn from that way, and I turn to you. Come and be the Lord of my life. I choose from this moment to live for you. I ask that you would make me brand new today in Jesus' name. Just with the eyes still closed and head bowed, I wanna give you just one opportunity to just acknowledge, just to take a little step of faith to say, you know what, I did pray that prayer and I meant it, I'm serious about it. I'm not, I don't wanna embarrass you, I don't wanna call you out, I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do. But what I do wanna do is encourage you to take one little step of faith. And I'm gonna to count to three. And on the count of three, if you prayed that prayer, either for the very first time or coming back to God, I want you to just lift your hand nice and high. Just don't be afraid, don't be shy, be brave, be bold. This is a small step of faith. I'll acknowledge you. You can pop your hand straight back down. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hand up nice and high. Saying, Steve, that's me. Yes, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Right down over there. Anyone else? Yes, down the back. I see you, my man. Yeah, I see you at the door. Anyone else saying, Steve, that's me. Count me in. Yes, right over there. Awesome. Awesome, thank you so much. Yes, my man, I see you over there too. God bless you, God bless you. Fantastic, yes, right up on the top, I see you there too. God bless you up there. Yep, right down the back, I see you too, my man. Anyone else? Saying, Steve, that's me. Yeah, man, right down the back. So worth waiting for, I see you. Awesome, awesome. Well, God, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you that you love lost people and that they matter to you. So God, right now, we bless each one who's responded. We thank you for your presence in this room, and we pray, oh God, that you would fill them with your life right now in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, we put our hands together and congratulate every single person that just said yes to Jesus. Come on, you can do better, church. God loves lost people. Friends, just while, you, while you're in your seats, I, I wanna let you know just a couple of things. And um, we're gonna receive our giving in a few moments time, but before we do that, I wanna let you know, if you raised your hand today and, and you said yes to Jesus, um, can I ask you to do something? On your seats, there's these connect cards. Now, now don't get ready to go anywhere because you're not going anywhere yet. On your seats, these connect cards. This is the most powerful and important moment in our whole service. So please honor the people next to you. The, this little connect card, if you said yes to Jesus, we wanna help you. This is the first step on a really amazing journey. And there's a little, little box you can tick saying uh, that I committed or recommitted my life to Christ. What, all we ask you to do is tick that box. As the offering buckets go by in a few moments time, drop it in. We wanna help you. We're not gonna stalk you, don't worry. We just wanna help you. And we wanna give you some stuff that's gonna help you along the way. If, if you feel stirred to take a next step with God, you wanna join a small group, uh, tick the box. Drop it in the offering bucket as it goes by. If you wanna be getting our growth track, growth track kicks off today, quarter past one. If you're new to church, uh, or, or if you've been here for a while, um, but you wanna discover your purpose, 
how God's made you. We believe every one of you here today is, has a gift from God and God wants you to, to discover how He's made you and what He's made you for so you can make a difference in this world. If you wanna get to know who we are, please, Growth Track, quarter past one, in the chapel, we'll give you food. I'll be there, I'd love to meet you, I'd love to shake your hand and, and help you discover how God's made you and what He's made you to do. Tonight, we've got our 5 p.m. service. I'm gonna be preaching. We're gonna 